Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and today it's all about two new high-profile films playing in local theaters. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I think it's a wonderful example of what Disney is doing with the current Star Wars universe. It's an offshoot. It's a cinematic sidebar, and it works. Plus, Fences, directed by and starring Denzel Washington with Viola Davis. They played the parts on Broadway, and now they're on the big screen. And I'm Smollier Haley Hamilton Cogill. We've had a few very special winemaker moments in the past few weeks. So first, we'll pair the incredible work of Denzel and Viola with two of our favorite people in the world, Mac and Lil McDonald of Vision Cellars. And then we had a great weekend recently up in Portland, Gary's hometown, and spent some time in Willamette Valley. So we'll talk about some of our new finds on our recent trip to the region as well as some of our tried-and-true favorites, including an incredible bottle of 1987 Elizabeth Reserve Pinot Noir with David Adelsheim. But first, Gary, I know you loved Rogue One, so let's talk about it. So what's your experience sitting? I I loved it. You loved it. But you're sitting next to me, and I'm a little giddy. Yeah, I mean, I say I loved it, but I didn't—I loved it as—I think it's a great film. You— you were kind of on another level. You you really, really... I'm kind of geeked out yeah. by it because I, I want these things to work. When they say they're going to do a, a sidebar movie or an offshoot movie, I want them to work. And I don't want them just to be a marketing ploy right. to sell toys. Right. And and Disney's famous for that, but Disney's been really good the last few years mm-hmm. in their animated films. And now I thought I thought what they did with The Force Awakens last time, a year mm-hmm. ago this year, mm-hmm. this time was really a good film. I think this is a better film yeah. than that film. Yeah. Uh, and I was geeked out then. But so here's the deal. It's Diego Luna. You think this is a better film than than, than The Force Awakens. Wow. I do. Just personally. I think it's I think it's a hardcore combat movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's a serious movie. Mm-hmm. Um I it has a few light moments where you know where they where they play with tried and true things. But I, I really I like the idea that it, I mean it's not Hacksaw Ridge. Right. But it's a Star Wars version of that, and mm-hmm. it takes itself seriously, and it's not a kiddie film. Right. Not that they've ever been kiddie films, but uh, but but this is a, a PG-13 that could be borderline R if they went a little bit stronger with it, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think they need to. Plus it, be- plus, it begins with that period right before we saw the original in 1977. Right. When that first one came out, this deals with that time frame, probably the 20 years leading right up to that. Okay. Well, and it's it's interesting though because I I I think we both really liked for the Force Awakens uh-huh. a lot, and and you're probably right. I think that did have so many kind of nuances of the past, you know, the past films that we've loved in that, and and so this was almost its own very unique thing, and so it's it probably does stand very true and and owning what it is and 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 the story interests me you know what i loved about the force awakens though a year Mm -hmm. ago is that it it just captured the spirit of the original and and we found out then that these films are in good hands Mm -hmm. and now we can all rest and relax and let's try to go to another level well and it's nice to know that it is a film that that isn't trying to to be something that it's not no i don't know if that makes any sense well and um, i you know the director is the guy gareth i think it's gareth edwards he did that godzilla movie where uh juliet Binoche (laughs) and brian cranston yes yes. i didn't hate that film i actually kind of like that film and i think he's a really interesting filmmaker there's also a really interesting texas connection because forrest whitaker who's from longview texas and was in fast times at ridgemont high and won the oscar for the last king of scotland and we just talked about him in in arrival and he's an arrival and he's very good he's very good in this one Mm -hmm. i i have no idea 
arrival. Yes, he yeah, was yeah. an arrival. Yeah, yeah. He's the military commander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got Diego Luna and Felicity Jones, which is really the center of the film. It's mm-hmm. really about Felicity. And then it's got uh, Alan Tudyk, who's from the Texas, from Texas. Spent a lot of time in Dallas. He plays that droid uh, K2SO. Yeah. And I think it's the most interesting droid in a Star Wars film since the first two original, R2-D2 and C-3PO. You uh, Don't ever show me Jar Jar Binks ever again, that creature. (laughs) That's not a droid, but don't ever show that to me. But this droid's really interesting. And she's a, this is a girl power movie, but it's deeper and richer and darker. Her story is dark. Mm -hmm. You know, her father is one of the creators of the Death Star. Mm -hmm. And she's out to find him. And she hasn't seen him since he was taken away and she was a small child. So she grows up angry and belligerent and hard and then becomes, you know, part of the universe that fights, fights the empire. Yeah. So, so the, the rebellion. So I, 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 and Diego Luna, who, who we really like. We love Diego Luna. I, I think he's really good in this film. And now, when I start mentioning all these characters, how much diversity can you have in a mm-hmm. Star Wars film? And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. This is like natural breathing. It doesn't, it never feels like, Forced, forced diversity mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. me. Oh, and, and I'm just going to say this. So far in the first, you know, we're coming up on starting two weeks now of, of uh, Rogue One. But in the first five to six days worldwide, it's done close to 330 million. Wow. 325, 330 million. They think this franchise world, it hasn't even opened in China. The Force Awakens did over 150 million in China. Wow. It doesn't open until January then. So, I mean, this this has a chance to be another billion dollar movie on its own. For Disney, so I'm I'm a big fan of it. And they'll do several more of these, right? These kind they're of they're working on a Harrison movies. Ford sidebar yeah. right now on on a Han Solo sidebar. Yeah, I think they're going to do them as they feel appropriate, mm-hmm. which makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Just as long as they keep making good films, we all don't feel like they're making the Matrix Five, right? Don't make the all, Matrix Four right. or Three because they're all very individual. Well, and we're all geeked out by it because once you get involved in the characters, no matter how young or old you are, um, these are, I'm not that fan. I couldn't tell you all the time frames of every film, but I'm kind of a geek on it. But, uh, those people that are into the details of it, these movies are all connected and they're very well connected, kind of like the Harry Potter films Mm -hmm. are connected. So Mm -hmm. they, they, they work for me. The other connection is Darth Vader into our next film because Darth Vader is, you know, this is pre-1977 Star Wars. So Darth Vader is actually voiced by the great James Earl Jones. Yes, and, in this film. Right. Yeah. And so Fences comes out now. That's a good segue. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, make the tie. <laughs> well, Fences fascinates me because James Earl Jones played the original in the 80s on Broadway, and I sat in the front row and watched him right after he won the Tony Award. I'll never forget Very it. Very nice tie I was it. by myself, and I was in New York City to interview James Earl Jones for Field of Dreams. Nice. And the day before I interviewed him, I went to the matinee in Broadway, and he wept like a baby, snot flying out of his nose wept and got angry the whole second. I'd never seen anything like that in New York in my life. And the next day I'm sitting in the chair with him and I pull out a screenplay of Fences. Not the screenplay, the, the play s- stage play yeah. by August Wilson. Oh. And he signs it. And we have that at home. Yeah. And I uh, you pry that from my dead cold hands. <laughs> so it's the great James Earl. So that's the connection here. But Fences was revived on Broadway in 2010 with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. The original August Wilson play not only won the Tony Award, Twice it won on the revival as well, uh, but it won the Pulitzer Prize. Wow! And it's a great piece of writing. And August Wilson wrote about African American families in the fifties, 
A lot of them take place in Pittsburgh. He did Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He did the piano lesson. He's, he's done a number of these plays. Joe Turner's Come and Gone. I, I think he's, I think him, him along with, uh, James Baldwin are, are two of the great writers about the African American experience in our country. And I think Viola Davis could win the Oscar oh, for supporting so actress great. for this. She's I think great. they both get nominated. It does look like a stage play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's shy. It's basically shot on like yeah, yeah, like four four. There are four different sets, and that's it. it yeah, and they're move around in, a lot. they're indoors and outdoors, but they're it has that feel of a stage play, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. He didn't open it up and create all these new characters. Plus, most of the people that were in the Broadway production with them are actually in the movie. Mm-hmm. They're they're just real good, and it's I'm I'll just review the story real quickly. But it's a father who had aspirations aspirations to play baseball and be a pro player back in the day in the Negro Leagues. And uh, he got caught in a robbery. Somebody got killed. He went to prison. And he is bitter and he is angry. And he's raising a son. And Viola Davis is not the mother of that son. He's married to Viola, but the mother is somewhere else. And and he is an angry... He's the great Santini, he, in a way. She's the mother of that son. Is she the mother of that son? She's the mother of the son that lives with them, but not. The, but there's another son. There's, that's right. There's another there's, son. There are two boys, yes. That's right. You're right. And there's two boys, one with her and one without. Right, right. But the son that he's difficult with. Right, is he her son. Just pushes him, verbally abuses him. It does. It reminds me of Robert Duvall and the great Santini, that I didn't have my dreams fulfilled, so why should you? And it's, it's, there's so much about anger and guilt and frustration and about life in a, in a racist, segregated culture also at the time. And so I, these words ring real true to me. They ring real interesting to me. I think August Wilson can do no wrong. And I think this film is a top 10 film. I don't know if it's a top five film. I think it gets nominated for best picture of the year when they come out in January. He gets nominated. The screenplay gets nominated. August Wilson and died. He directed. In two, uh, you know, Denzel directed it. Denzel this. directed it. I think he has a really good chance to be nominated for best director. I don't think he'll win, but I think he has a good chance. I think he could win best actor. He's going to have to beat Casey Affleck. But Fences to me is one of the best films of the year. Yeah. But boy, it's tough stuff. It's hard film. It's a really hard film. And so for that hard film, I think you need a really good glass of wine. Let's have a good glass now. (laughs) Star Wars and then, oh my God, fences, fences. And this is, you know, timing is everything. Just last night we had just one of my favorite nights of all time. Which was dinner with Mac and Lil uh, McDonald of Vision Cellars. Mac is originally from... East Texas, and so they were here to see his mom for the holidays, and we got lucky enough to to have him over for dinner and and spend time with them because they're just dear, fantastic people. So um, I originally met Mac through you, and and am you know thankful every day for that. But Mac is the the as he likes to say the the son of a Texas moonshiner that fell in love with with I think blackberry wine at one point and and decided that sweet wine he would he <laughs> uh, would then learn more about it and and then after you know he grew up a little bit and his palate developed um, he fell in love with great burgundy and um, he met Lil they she's originally from San Francisco they live um, in Sonoma now and and he I want to say had a job in the railroad industry for yes, for most of his career but always had this passion for wine he when we first met when I first met him he was one of I think maybe seven African-American winemakers in the country and though that number has grown a, a little bit it's still probably not where it needs to be but um 
Um, but Max still stands out as as a bigger than life, dedicated, talented winemaker. That you you can always you always know that one of the Pinot Noir wines that Mac is making now is going to be completely varietally correct, which is great in the world of Pinot Noirs that often try to taste more like. Uh, these big steakhouse pinots that are just so robust and, and high alcohol. And yeah. Mac wants something that's subtle and elegant and refined. And since he started, he's all he always um, kind of sourced his fruit. He did have Miss Lil's Vineyard um, on their at their Windsor property for a number of years. Uh, but he had always sourced his his fruit from some of the best growers throughout California, and I think that's always a, a great testament to to a smart winemaker. You know, Gary Pisoni's not going to let you put his name on your on your bottle of wine unless he trusts the winemaker that's that's making that fruit. So Mac is very well respected by other Pinot makers, and isn't he's, he? And he's just so he's just so. Kind. He's just they're they're just good people. These they're are people, bigger than life too. Yeah, and they're people that you want to support. So last night we had a chance to try um, his. We had a kind of older bottle of his 2010 Gary's Vineyard, which is that Gary's uh, Pisoni from Santa Lucia Highlands. And oh my gosh, just. Yeah. I thought it was smooth as silk. It's and and subtle and and not showy, but but elegant and. And the kind of wine that you want to drink, it's not its not a wine that's going to, it's not a put hair on your chest wine. It's not a, it's, it's elegant. Not a, it's not an abrupt wine. It's just really, really lovely and well integrated. And and I think he does a, a Rosella's Vineyard that's also just, just showcases the quality of the fruit that he's able to work with, with, with one of the most... Um, crafted hands and I think it's because he's so passionate mm. about it. I thought the I thought the wine last night went perfectly with your I did, I did with your it. salmon on <laughs> salmon on sriracha slaw. Yeah, because it's a little spicy and so yeah. we had to have a you know the little the, a little bit of that kind of sweet spice from the the oak aging did come out in um in the wine that helped probably soften some of that that spicy sriracha. But just you know salmon and peanut is always one of my favorites. You know, we've been drinking wine with Mackinola for a number of years yeah. now and he'll break out an old bottle every once in a while. And I, I always put it in the back of my mind that of all the people that we've ever met that make Pinot that in California alone, he's one of two or three to me that make the best. Yeah. I, I Vision Cellars to me is everything that great Pinot is about. And, of course, your idea that great wine also could and should have a great story. Yeah. And Mac is the story. He is such. One of the, the best stories, wines, um, he doesn't make a lot, so you can find the wines through his website. And and just, yeah, yeah. wonderful people. What a, a, a perfect way to, to spend a day. Kind of holiday December night. It was great, great, uh, great way to great go, night. Mac and yeah. Lou. You're invited to dinner anytime. Anytime. <laughs> when we come back on wine and film, a perfect pairing. Haley recalls our recent trip to Oregon wine country, where the Pinots are brilliant and the Chardonnays crisp and beautiful. And we will be back. Welcome back, everyone, to Wine and Film: A Perfect Pairing. Where this time of year, we get to talk about a lot of good films because it's Oscar season. And yes, a lot of good wine, including our trip last week to the northern wine country of Oregon. 
It's one of our favorite places in the world. It's a whole state. <laughs> well, it is a whole state, but, but those Pinots are all north. Yes. They're up north in the Dundee area. So, you know, it's one of my favorite places in the world because I, I was born in Portland. But it's one of yours, too. We've, we've talked about Willamette Valley a few times on the show, and, and it, it's probably because I continue to to go back to it as as there are a handful of we I love Pinot Noir. I think Pinot Noir, if I had a grape that I wanted to drink every day for the rest of my life, it's probably Pinot Noir. And it's it, I've also said that Nebbiolo is probably my favorite variety, but I don't know if I could drink a Barolo every day. Whereas a Pinot is has such finesse and elegance that it is the kind of approachable wine that can also take on different characteristics because she is such a finicky little girl. Well, we I learned that from Sideways. You knew that well before the film. <laughs> right? It's a finicky grape. It's a very finicky. It's thin-skinned. It's, you know, it 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 can it it cannot behave well for you based on on what the climate's given you and and so to find great ones and and to find ones that actually taste like the earth mm-hmm. which is something that i've always really found with with Oregon with Willamette Valley pinots that they taste you taste the forest floor you taste the truffle you taste the mushroom you taste the 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 kind of damp portland earthiness of 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 great pinot noir from from the wines in this area. So um, we tasted with quite a few different winemakers, but there were a few that kind of stood out. One, I'll I'll kind of talk about a new one for me first, which was one that I know that this winery's been around for a while, but this is the first time we had a chance to actually go there and visit it, and it was Lummelson. Yes. And I, I... it, I was just so pleased with with every kind of aspect of our time there. Um, Eric Lemelson is, I think, another reason why I was so excited to to go to this winery because I just appreciate who he is and what he does. It's um, he is the president and founder of the. Karuna Foundation. He's the vice president and treasurer of the Limelson Foundation. He's an environmental lawyer. He is a client change and energy policy activist. He is a builder of high-performance LEED-certified buildings. I'm, I'm a fan. So basically, all of that means that he is very, very focused on the fact that our earth is changing and we need to do something to to maintain the quality of of. Uh, of the environment mm-hmm. in a time that I'm very nervous that that could be changing. When I see a building with L-E-E-D E-D, on it, right. it, that's where it started. Yes, yes. He's, I don't there's know different if he levels started of it, but he certified. is a yeah. builder of LEED certified. Oh, okay. It basically yeah. means that you have an environmentally friendly building, that, you're, that the building materials mm-hmm. are good for the environment, that um, it was built in a sustainable way, that um, well, his building, his winery his building was build, beautiful. Beautiful, and you work Channel Five KXAS yeah. is also a lead certified. I think they were yes, either we silver or gold, something like that. Um, we're silver working our way up. That's well, and it's or gold it, but our that's way up. it's to to not have a focus on the environment right now. Yeah. I I just don't understand, especially then when you are in the farming industry, because um, t- to to not farm clean um, just in the most basic sense you have to you have to think that you have you have vineyard workers that you have you have you know you have, might have your kids running around in in the vines and if you are if you are not 
taking care of the vines in the cleanest manner possible, which also goes to making clean, healthy. Well, your family would be running, everything would be toxic. Everything you'd be running around and round up. And let's face it, at the end of the day, we really don't want to do that. And I understand that you have to have the ability to, if you're going to lose your entire crop, then what do you what do you do? Yeah. And and so I'm I I get that, but I think that sometimes to not even be aware, not even try to 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 farm as clean as you possibly can is just irresponsible. Yep. Yep. Um, we find a lot of responsible uh, winemakers and and wineries up there. And we do, and we that's do. and and then you know, but how's their wine? Then they make great wine. So we had a chance to um to hang out with Matt of Wingle, who's their winemaker, and spend quite a bit of time with him. We barrel tasted with him. We tank tasted with him. You know, all the fruit had has um, probably. Finished for or fin- they finished harvest in in Oregon probably what maybe early October ish I think it was a little bit ahead of time this year, um, but so the fruit you know w- wine is in tanks going through fermentation some has already been put into barrel and so to be able to taste wine as it's as it's progressing as it's aging I think is something that's that's really exciting and really interesting. Um, because you kind of see where it starts. I remember so in getting to another winery we were going to talk about, but several years ago when we were at Stoller, we tasted their rosé and tank, and it tasted like like ruby red grapefruit juice and watermelon juice. And it was just like, even though the finished product now isn't quite as pronounced as those flavors, you still, you can pick up those nuances, and that's what makes it so special. You have such a better palate than I do because I uh, during barrel tastings uh, you have to project into the future. You have to know what yeah. Yeah, you have to know and I'm getting better at yeah. it, but I kind of admire you so much. But I remember also walking in in the tasting room and there's that sign because they were in Wine Spectators. They top were. 100. Yes, they were um I want to say they're 60 something for their Thea's Reserve. We're number 60 something. Yes, I know. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly. But when you make that top 100 list, it it kind of changes. And their wines are reasonable, yeah. And their wines were like 40 bucks. Yes, and that's just it. It's it's their Thea's is um, kind of. I don't even want to call it their entry level because sometimes an entry level wine you you think might not be um, the quality of of some others, but it's their it's their largest production wine, and and it was forty dollars, and it was delicious. Their Chardonnays were delicious. Matt just um we actually got a bottle of his of his super like bone dry Riesling that I just oh just think it's beautiful. They're really really lovely, very approachable wines which which I it was a pleasure and and a joy to be able to spend time with them and to really understand what this winery is doing because I think that they're going to continue to do really great things. Yeah. Along That's with, just beautiful wine. Yeah, we had a, a and you know the winery is beautiful. It's a beautiful place to visit. Um, I think you do have to have an appointment to go, but you know easy enough to to get an appointment as most wineries up in in Willamette you can do you can have. Um, then we had a chance, we had two more kind of really aha, really special experiences. One was with Melissa Burr at Stoller Family Vineyards, who I just, I love her. I She's just, one of my favorite human I, beings. I know. I just, I think that she has been with Stoller. Um, Stoller's up on, on in the Dundee Hills ABA, so some of the, the best uh, fruit, I think, in Willamette. Um, their, their volcanic jewelry soils just um, really make... Both Pinot Noir and Chardonnay pop. Um, though Melissa's 
Pinots are incredible and amazing, and I could talk all day about them. I think one of the things that I've always loved about Stoller Chardonnay versus some of the other Chardonnays that that are produced up in, in Willamette, because I think they're still some are still trying to find their their way with the grape. Stoller Chardonnay is so freaking good. I love it so much. It is. And it's one of my favorite Chardonnays in the whole world. They and we had a chance to taste a few different things. They have. Um, a new one. I'm pretty sure it's called the Elise. It's part of their legacy tier, which they have the Nancys and the Helens. They're kind of um, all all of these um, wines named after um, the Bill Stoller's family members. So we actually had a chance to stay in, and they're beautiful guest houses. They're named after the, the women. In after his the life. women in his life, yeah. we stayed in Aunt Helen's um, house, her guest house. That's also a a Pinot Noir, but we had brand new Chardonnay as well as a Chardonnay that they only kind of um, have available for some of their club members or I think maybe through their website. But it was 100% concrete. It was so steely and minerally, but still really beautifully nuanced because I think she had done some lee stirring. So it had great texture, but also such kind of clean, crisp, Flavors, but crisp is the word for me. Were so just beautiful and not overly buttery at all. Not at at all. all. And that's I think that they're also delivering something for for kind of any palate, which I also appreciate from their just entry level Dundee Hills. That's completely stainless steel, steel, really, really um, light and and juicy and vibrant to their reserve that is going to be a little bit rounder and richer. It's like perfect wintertime Chardonnay. I think if it's yeah. cold outside, it's going to kind of help warm you up. Um, then they have a new bubble, which I am always excited about. They they have finally released a sparkling wine that they've been working on um, for, for quite some time called LaRue. That's traditional method sparkling wine um, from their Pinot Noir and Chardonnay grapes. So just, and it, it, I think that time was just so special because I do admire her so much. I think that she has been, um, it's her 14th vintage with Stoller. She's from Willamette Valley. She's just a cool chick, so. Make it light, make it bright, make it Chardonnay. <laughs> no, we just. Yeah, special, she's great. And yeah. she has steely blue eyes that yes. look like them. She oh, is, yeah, she's gorgeous. She has Aiden Quinn eyes. She is beautiful, All yes. Right. And then we went to dinner. Well, and we had, so we have also talked about our buddies, um, David Adelsheim and Eugenia Keegan a few times, and we had a chance to to join them at their new house that they just finished building um, for dinner. And Eugenia is the kind of lady behind um, some of the Jackson family properties up there, including they just bought Willa Kenzie as well as Penner Ash. Grand Moraine was kind of her first project that she was brought in for that's part of their higher-end Aspire collection. Um, and and another really cool chick and a saucy redhead. Yes. Love Eugenia. And then David, I just can't say enough about. He's kind of one of the the fathers of, of Willamette Valley Pinot Noir, though I don't think he'd probably call himself one. But, but he's been making do. wine for... Adelsheim's, I think, celebrated. They celebrated their 40th anniversary probably, shoot, maybe four or five years ago. Well, now, you can only find one or two or three more Absolutely. that have been making yeah. wine. Yeah, David Irie and, yeah. and Erath, and and but David's been and yeah. he's been there and he's and he's been making this incredible wine from from that you know kind of Shahela Mountains and and vineyards throughout Newburgh and actually vineyards throughout the entire valley, but. To have a chance to one sit at a table and 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 
you know, have a meal and just talk, just talk with him is always just a joyous occasion. But then he busts out in 1987 Elizabeth Reserve Pinot Noir. Wow. And it, I mean... I did not like, want did it you, to end. I know. I didn't <laughs> want it to end. It's, the, it's, it's when I talk about the great Chardonnays and I, I'm in love with Oregon Chardonnays and we talked about Stollers, but that's the best glass I think of Chardonnay in Oregon I've ever had. Oh, okay. The Elizabeth Reserve yes. is a Pinot. Oh, I'm sorry. We're talking about the... Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of something else. Sorry. Okay, no. The, um, no, no, no. You're, you're right. Because it was in 87. Yes. It we had, had a lot the, of age to it. We, yes, we did. God, just shoot me. I've seen too many Star Wars movies <laughs> no. lately. Well, we had the... We we had, a, a I think, maybe a 2008 Caitlin, which is his Chardonnay. So we did have a little bit of Because a, I love his Chardonnay so much. There And he's done... He was kind of one of the original... Um, Maybe I was getting pinoed out. He figured out. He helped figure out. I think um, when David first planted his Chardonnay at the time in Oregon, a lot of people were planting a California clone like Winty clone Chardonnay, and David was one of the 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 first to kind of realize yeah. that it was too cool in Oregon to you know for for California clone Chardonnay to grow well. And so he brought in some of the Dijon clones from Burgundy to actually um, to to produce what is now kind of the standard amongst Oregon Chardonnay drinkers. But I think I just this, go crazy over the Caitlin. Yes. And That's it's, what I do. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. But this, I'll just jump in, this yeah. 87 Elizabeth Reserve Pinot Noir. To, to one, have a wine that's 30 years old, essentially, um, had so much, it still had so much fruit to it. I think that was one of the most exciting things that that you... Oregon's still such a young region. You, you, we, we think that that our you know California and Oregon's been making wine forever, but in grand scheme of like how how long have they been making wine in France? Um, it's still such a young region, and so you kind of wonder how these wines will age. And and at the time, though, the vines were probably you know what maybe fifteen years old then, twenty years old then. Probably not even that old, but um, if if young vines will make a wine that can sustain that much time in aging, and it was great, and it was you know there was a, I think my glass I, I I got the last of a bottle, so I had a good old sip of sediment at the bottom of my glass. But that's some part of, of it, Oregon little little grit, yes, little Oregon well, grit. Well, I sipped it with. Uh... He was cooking lamb. Yes, and and, and the just lamb. beautiful. Yeah. Just, just, yeah, and and that's that's also the nice thing because you wonder, you know, do you just have to eat something like poultry or or fish or like salmon with pinot, or can pinot stand up to a a hardier cut of meat? And I think that when it's well made, because it was still very distinctly Oregon, it's that all of that kind of wild strawberry and and little touches of kind of wild rose with with cherry and then that kind of forest floor earthiness can can stand up to something like a, a grilled lamb chop or, or rack of lamb. So beautiful. You know, we have these experiences lately. We were talking earlier about having dinner with Mac and Lil at our house and having dinner with David and Eugenia at their house. Yeah. When those moments end and we all hug and leave – uh, those uh, they're almost like melancholy but wonderful moments yeah. for me. I don't want to go. Yeah, I want to keep them up all night. <laughs> but you know, it was a school night. I'm not getting any younger, and you know, I, but that's I, I think that that's what's so. It's just a, that joy of being together. This is what makes me feel so 
privileged and honor and lucky and and everything about about what we get to do because because the the story behind the people are what make everything so special. You know, there are a lot of there are there are, there are a lot of product there are a lot of wines on on a store shelf. So what makes me choose this one over that one? It's that story behind it and it's that experience and it's that it's it's that time to 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 share a meal and have a conversation, which is at the end of the day the whole the whole reason that you you know, why do you why do you drink wine? It's usually to be paired with a meal. And and what goes better with a meal than a great conversation? And what goes better with wine than a great movie? I agree. And thank you for letting me overstate a wine I didn't drink. I appreciate that. Next week on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, three more Oscar-contending films, including the NASA math movie. It's called Hidden Figures with Taraj P. Henson and Kevin Costner and Octavia Spencer. And the animated musical performance movie called Sing... And, of course, a movie called Lion, the compelling true story of an adopted boy in search of his birth mother. And that stars Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. And I just want to say happy um, holidays to everyone. To everyone. Yes, because we, we, we've had so much fun over the last few months, just especially the last most recent few months with really great movies. And, and we hope that if you're whoever you're spending your holidays with, that, that your friends and family and loved ones and, and that you can raise a glass and have a toast to, to hopefully a, a really, really special and a great year. So, We're going to do that a lot in the next few days. I can't wait. Okay. But for any, any more on any of the films or wines we talked about today, please check out our blog on Cogill Consulting or through our Facebook page. Be sure to follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. To see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.